Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, hello, and welcome, or should I say welcome back, to the Indie Football Podcast. I am a Malian sports editor of The Independent, and to my left... Uh, I have one of the, the finest football writers in the country, uh, mainly based around London town. His name is Jack Pitbrook. Say hello, please, Jack. Hi, Ed. How are you? I'm okay, thank you, sir. And to my right, the chief football writer of The Independent, on his phone, as always, not paying attention, as always, it's Miguel Delaney. I'm paying attention, just, you know, on top of things. On top of things. <laughs> Very on top of things. Sending, is that, do you send me a message? Yes, you literally sent me a message. <laughs> um, not you, not you. <laughs> group. Um, it is FA Cup weekend. Still, technically, because Barnet Brentford is tonight, so you know we're not we're not out of the woods yet. Um, but it's been FA Cup weekend. We're going to talk a lot of FA Cup as well as some transfer window stuff. Particularly why this transfer window has been so dull. Um, and I guess the best place to start is Friday night, which was the biggest game of the FA Cup weekend. Arsenal match yep. United. And you were both there. You were both there. Yeah. And uh, tell us what happened and why. Yeah, uh, United basically just did them, didn't they? They, you know. Yeah, they did. Uh, I thought that United... It was like a classic Manchester United against Arsenal performance. Yeah. I mean, you know, you could compare it to the famous 2009 semi-final, yeah. uh, as Solskjaer did afterwards. You could compare it to the, f- the famous Arsenal getting knocked out of the FA Cup yeah. 2011. Uh, also, the 3 won in January 2009. Yeah, or the... Um, I forgot the scoreline. I think 3-1, like Christmas before last, like December 2017, oh, yeah, yeah. where De Gea made all those saves. Yeah. And United scored two in the first 10 that minutes. Was, that was actually less so, just because that required De Gea to be so spectacular. Yeah. I love the manner of the... You know, Arsenal usually... They never usually gave Arsenal much of a sniff in those games. So I love the manner of the counter-attacking goals. Another classic of the, of the genre is actually under Louis van Gaal. Uh, the game where Rooney scored a chip on the on the break. I think, I think it was a team with Blackett and that and... Oh yeah, yeah. I kind of remember that. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was like it was one nil. He yeah, scored in the second two, half. Two one, I think, wasn't it? Oh, I think it was okay. two one, and Giroud got late goal for Arsenal. Okay. Di Maria missed a chip. It was around November twenty fourteen, I'd say. Oh, I was on holiday. Mm-hmm. I was. I was, <laughs> I was in the US. It's very yeah. Straight father Dougal of you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, in that sense, it was a classic. It was a classic performance, and it actually like. One of the main one of the main positives about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's reign as Manchester United manager so far has been the extent to which he's managed to kind of reconnect United with some of their traditions. Yeah, and yesterday was as good an example of that as as any. Not not yesterday, Friday. Friday, yeah. Um, you know, like counterattacking football. Their second goal was fantastic. Where I think it went Herrera, Lukaku out on the right, Lingard. Mm. Um, you know, from one end, outside of football, from Luke Shaw, from one end of the pitch, to the other in a, in kind of four or five touches. Yeah. So yeah, I was really impressed with them. Arsenal, uh, just a defensive mess basically. Like after Socrates went off for Mustafi in the first half, they were terrible. I mean, Mustafi is useless. Uh, they, I mean, for a team, Emery was brought in with this kind of this the suggestion that he would be the man to toughen Arsenal mm. up and like make them really organised. But defensively, they're, they're they're absolute shambles. Like they've conceded thirty two goals in twenty three Premier League games. 
I actually think they've got very bad just personnel at the back. I think yeah. I think I think a lot of it is a a, a, a past recruitment issue, I guess, and a current personnel issue. It's just yeah. that I thought it was a great game, as as you have both said. I thought it was really entertaining and uh mainly the way that United have been reinvigorated in a kind of attacking fast dare like Solskjaer is trying his hardest to do a virtually impossible task, which is make United likable. Like obviously yeah, yeah. he'll never achieve that because it's still Manchester United, but he's straying dangerously into making them likable because they're suddenly a young attacking team for like kind of full of joy that are good to watch. And, you know, I, I thought they were far better than Arsenal, but mainly because both of these sides are kind of weak at the back in terms of who they have there. Um, but United can kind of forge it into an okay backline that can cope with stuff, and yeah. Arsenal really can't. Yeah, you're right. Arsenal, <laughs> Arsenal can't cope with anything, and they're also really adventurous. Mm. So the fullbacks always bomb on, and then you're left with it's like the same Arsenal game you've been watching forever. Like you're left with like Mustafi and Koscielny or Mustafi mm. and Socrates, just the two, and then the opposition <laughs> swarm forward. It's like, oh no, <laughs> oh, it just happened again. <laughs> in, in like the, the half an hour after that game, got a WhatsApp from uh, as as you Jack from um. Uh, you know, a known journalist who <laughs> his analysis was, and you know who's shit, Torreira. To make sense, these things turn. Well, two, the, two months yeah. after Torreira being like the, the new Kante, the yeah. new Kante. <laughs> but like the, the sad reality. Of Ars- I agree with it, the sad reality of Arsenal is that they only have two good players. Uh, Lacazette and Aubameyang and yeah. everyone else who's like varying shades of rubbish <laughs> like Torreira is probably like on the good side of that but yeah, yeah. I like Bellerin is pretty good Leno might be okay these are guys who like their arrow is pointing upwards so like you, they can it's it's okay for them to be like 5, 6 out of 10 now because they could be a 7 or an 8 later like if, yeah. if Torreira and Guendouzi do develop properly if they get caught up in like a, a train wreck of a club going in weird different directions which is like melting down behind the scenes then who knows how they'll turn out do Everton have a better squad than Arsenal? No. No, I wouldn't say so. Okay. I'd still, I'd still do. <laughs> I'll park that hot take for another day. <laughs> yeah, they've got big uh, Yannick Balassi. Can't even get a game, would you believe? Um, so, no, it's not Everton. It's not Everton. Mm-hmm. I actually think Everton uh, would be... I think Everton would be very competitive under perhaps a different manager. But they've already got the best they've manager, got the best manager in the league. I know, so. Magic Marco is special to you. <laughs> you got that one wrong, Ed. <laughs> Where are you and Magic Mac on now? Uh, I just think they need to give them time. Everton have been going sideways for a while, and yeah. I think that they've finally got a good manager who's got his players in. Yeah, it's they're worse than anybody expected, but it's you know you got to build slowly. Ten year plan. Ten year plan. Um, there is a you now. They of course would say this because very much they enjoy it. But I've seen a few opinions from Liverpool circles, the other, the, like, the other side of the city, uh, that um, the derby ruined Everton. That they think it's completely destroyed their season. The nature of it. Uh, do you think they yeah, would give that I, much merit? I think <laughs> so. Yeah, it, it was like I mean I don't watch them that, that much. That side of the city loves a narrative. <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, I mean remember how bad they were against against Spurs when Spurs took them apart yeah. at Goodison Park. You know they lost to Millwall. The other day in the cup, who are you know struggling Terrible. to struggling Terrible. to stay in the championship and did not particularly care about the game, so they cared about the races chanting during the game, as ever with it, with Mill, By the way, I know I know, like we always have to say, it's a it's a minority, but um, no, is it? <laughs> uh, the one that sticks with me that really annoyed me, I did a Mill FA Cup game a few years ago against Leicester City, and. Uh, there was a pitch invasion and like fans were like threatening the away team's players and all that sort of stuff, you know. And they were obviously their first instinct is to go over to the away fans and try and like go the away fans into like warfare on the field, basically. 
And afterwards, like you ask Neil Harris about it, and because he's such a Millwall favourite, like he knows, he knows they're like he knows what they are interested in, and he just kind of sneered, and he was just like, "The fans are very enthusiastic." It's like, like get out of my face! Like they don't, they they pretend they pay lip service to trying to like deal with this, but they they don't actually deal with it, and they don't even. I know there are, I'm sure, very decent people in there, but it's like it happens every single year, every single time they play in like one big game, the same thing happens. Yeah, uh, they are very much um, an island unto themselves, aren't they? I mean, yeah, it, <laughs> it's a real kind of a subculture, like a, yeah. a microclimate. Yeah, like there is nowhere. It also feels colder than the rest of London as well. It does feel cold. It's because it's like right. It's very, very close to Thames, very and it's got a very open ground. Unlike say Craven Cottage, which is quite closed in its sides. Yeah. For, uh, Millwall is like distinct stands, and that means the wind comes off the Thames, and it's absolutely freezing. It's cold. It's. Uh, weirdly, I know this is, this sounds weird, especially with an Everton fan uh, had his face slashed on on uh, Saturday. Uh, it is one of the, if not the safest away ground in the UK. If you go as an away fan, which I've done before, uh, you know there's like a separate fenced off walkway for all the away fans, yeah. so you don't actually see a home fan the entire journey. If you don't, you that's know, if you why don't the want to. that's why the violence happened uh, up by Surrey Keys, so about sort of 15 minutes walk north of of the Den, because there's no point in trying to cause anything round by South Bermondsey Station, because that's where that's full of police. So I think the Ever- the Millwall fans kind of realised that they'd be able to get Everton fans at the nearest tube station. Uh, rather than rather than nearer the ground, and that's where it all kicks off, which is weird because like Surrey Keys is kind of the last place you expect anything to kick off. There. It's all just like it's new builds. There's a massive decathlon. There's a tube station and uh, Jubilee Line, right? Yeah, and there's um, like ju- the kind of earliest springings of new kind of craft beer places and and things which attach themselves to new builds where yeah, young yeah. professionals live. But it's not. It's like the least. Gre- it's genuinely the least green street part of London that I've ever been to. But you know, this is the problem again. It's like whenever Millwall playing in a moderately high-profile game, this sort of stuff happens, and it's like you'd you'd like it if just like the away fans could just go to this game without getting just jumped by like twenty-five-year-old blokes who've got nothing better to do. But anyway, like, I'm not going to rant about Millwall all day. Um, we should move on, unless you've got more points to make on Millwall. No, no. Um, we should move on to biggest upset of the weekend which is arguably Spurs I guess because oh, yeah. so many top teams have now gone out a couple of, if you, I think it's 13 Premier League teams are already eliminated yeah it's four through and three have got replays um, but 13 are out 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 um, Spurs the latest high ranking one of those to go out and so who, sorry, can we just run through who's out uh, Liverpool, Liverpool Arsenal Arsenal Tottenham uh, the Chelsea went through yesterday City West Ham are out through West Ham are out. There's loads Newcastle of I mean, there's, there's tons out. of Premier League clubs. Leeds are out. Usually they can play fringe teams to get through yeah. this bit. So, so that means basically we're gonna have a semi-finals of Manchester United, Manchester City, and Chelsea. Yeah, and and maybe one novelty option that get, Watford get, get pummeled by City, like yeah. <laughs> Crystal Palace. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's well, also, uh, what sometimes happens is that you get like the really strong semi-final and the really weak semi-final. So like you get the Palace yeah. Watford semi-final and then you get like Man United against you, you, Man City. Or the something. classic being the uh, the Bolton Stoke, where Stoke absolutely destroyed Bolton in oh, 2011. Yeah, yeah. They beat them 5-0. Yeah, and then yeah, yeah, Torre, City's yeah, first yeah. trophy. And what was it again? Uh, it was a long time. Yeah. <laughs> 34 years <laughs> as United fans say yes but Spurs yes so, so this is why so this is all the con- I mean this, we're not just wasting time here we're providing necessary context to say why yesterday was such a missed opportunity for Tottenham yeah because with all those good teams out of the cup like 
if City and United had drawn each other, for example, and other games had gone their way, then Spurs could have had a real route to the cup. And the fact that they're out, I think, probably stings Tottenham fans maybe more than it's yeah. done in the past. In fact, I've seen a lot on social media today about, I, I love Pochettino, but he's got yeah. this wrong. There's been a lot of that. Because b- basically, in the, in the press conference last night, uh, you know, Pochettino, as ever, was asked why, you know, how basically how sad are you to be out of the mm. cup how important to you and it i think it would i wrote in my piece which is up this morning uh it might have been easier for Pochino if he said yeah i am really pissed off because mm. this is really important to me and i really wanted to go through but instead he massively doubled down on his like trophies don't really matter shtick and said that like winning just winning the fa cup or the league cup for its own sake, it's just an ego trip. It doesn't actually help Which you grow the club. And I see what he means, but Spurs fans really That's don't weird. see it that That's way. It is. Spurs fans don't see it that way. And I think what Spurs fans think is he's just parroting the Daniel Levy line, which is that football is mm. all about, like, yeah, we get it. Like, Champions League football is necessary to making more money, but that's not really what football is all about. And f- these fans would love a, I'm just going to say a big but, day out at Wembley, they'd love to win a cup. Or a cup final. An, an ego trip is, for well, I suppose Pachita doesn't know enough about ego, but uh, <laughs> an ego trip is the wrong way to look at it. It's not an ego trip. It's it's about kind of you know, t- days that mark the history of your club, no matter how kind of relatively inconsequential the, the silverware. Um, and I did see, like, I mean, to be fair, Rafi put up all that stuff yesterday about, you know, how winning the FA Cup gets you 6.6 million, whereas just getting to the group stage Champions League gets you 60 million or the last 16. Um, but there is still more to it than that. Um you know what it kind of reminds me of when he says things like that? It's like that when someone goes to like a new company or something or when they're at work and they are told that this is the objective and this is the measures by which we are... Uh, this is, these are the kind of metrics by which we are measured. And I think Pochettino has been fairly summarily told, like, I don't care about the cup performances. You have to get us in the top four every year for financial reasons. You know, I, I understand it that that's why it's more important. Mm. But it means that you've kind of sidelined everything else. Um, and it is almost, you know, like, um, it makes me think like Fox Sports in America who sacked all their writers and, and pivoted to video uh, based off some uh, retrospectively found out to be fraudulent uh, video figures, video view figures by Facebook. So, uh, you know, it's deciding what, what they decided was we make more money from video, so we should do more video. They didn't want care about what their readers wanted. They literally just cared about what was the best business decision. Mm. And this is kind of the same thing. This is Poch not realising what the fans want necessarily, like being a little bit out of tune yeah. with that. I think usually he's quite good at being in tune with the fans, but, but I think this one he's slightly off. There is one thing in that, in that the business of the club also maybe is more in tune with what's good for Poch's reputation internationally. Because I agree with that too. Obviously, to, to yeah. be seen in the Champions League every season is more important to him than to be... You know, to win some some trinket, but just what? Uh, well, like, I'm just you know, yeah. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. The oldest cup competition in the world <laughs> reduced to a trinket by Miguel Delaney. No, not, my, not my view. I'm just you know, I'm just uh, relaying or reflecting the views of others. But but also, I think there is a bigger thing here in the sense that there is a very real danger that Spurs' best eleven since what the eighties, the sixties might end up be, being broken apart without without anything to show for it, bar top four finishes and a few good performances in the Champions League when it comes right down to it. Yeah, I think Miguel's absolutely right there that like the the interest of Daniel Levy and the interests of Pochettino, like the, the personal interest of Pochettino have, have converged here to 
to create this sense that the cups don't matter so much. And also, it's weird because it's also kind of at odds with like Pochettino's image of himself, which is that I'm all about the romance of football and like Argentinian tradition and machismo and Newell's old boys yep. and all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, actually, guys, the TV money. Yeah, <laughs> like tradition, screw, tradition, screw tradition, the glory. We got the, we got hundred million pounds of TV money. But also in, in his book with Guillaume Balaguer, Brave New, he goes on about for, for for a few times about how much it meant to win the uh, the Copa del Rey with Espanol, and like you know what a big thing what that that was and such a special day. So I don't know. I mean, it's probably a bit of kind of you know double speak there as well. But um, when I was in Argentina, uh, cough. Uh, I, I remember <laughs> someone did tell me though there there was discussion about this. In general, actually, it was about they were the clubs in the Libertadores final and how they were doing the league. But it's actually a part of Argentinian football culture to extent uh, to only fixate on one trophy at a time, and that, that the idea of spreading your resources. So I do wonder does that maybe feed into the Pochettino well, a little bit as well? Tra- traditionally, you know, for for many 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 years, the, the Argentine season was more compartmentalized. It was yeah. it was split into two separate halves. So like after like four or five games, if you had a bad start, mm. you can pretty much sack it off because you know. That you're not going to win that yeah, that yeah. the Clausura or the Apertura yeah. or you know they they changed the name of it several t- different times and changed the structure different times but fundamentally because there are smaller units like that um, you could like so if you're doing well in the Libertadores you could just make no effort in the league you mm. could just shut it down basically and become a, a midweek team because yeah. they, and you know there's a lot more travel involved in that and it's a lot more brutal yeah uh, you're going to like horrible like away games in Bolivia on a Wednesday night on a, yeah. on a rickety plane and like at altitude and then you're back and playing yeah. league on Saturday you don't want to be doing it well, the, the other debate into this actually and it maybe ties into a wider transfer discussion we can have in a few minutes about clubs and their willingness to spend money or ability to spend money at, at the moment but because you blame you, you, got, you blame Spurs exit on the squad depth well, right? I think, I think because there, there, we haven't there, even there, mentioned that the, the, the side he put out there is, yeah, there is an issue here I mean, I mean I, I think it's tied into the fact as well or linked into the fact that I, I think Spurs have been operating about full capacity for about two years now we're the first 11 that's pushed to the limit and I, and we, as we've seen with the recent injuries and the damage that like losing Kane and Ali has done um, and I think that's been they've done really really well to balance that but eventually it's going like it's, problems like this are going to happen at some point and there is a question over the depth of the squad beyond that and why it isn't as good as it should be because some people say that there's money to spend there but it's Pochettino that refuses to spend yeah, I mean, I agree that the Spurs basically have no capacity to focus on the cup. Like the though their resources are so thinly stretched, and they are they are competing at the absolute maximum in the Premier League and the Champions League, which mm. ultimately is all he cares about. There's no room. There's no they they can't take up the slack. And if you look at the history of the FA Cup, the last five years it's been won by Arsenal, Arsenal United, Arsenal, Chelsea. In all cases big squads who are having a bad season in the league mm. as in so they can focus all of their resources on winning the cup Spurs are never going to be in that position they don't have the depth and they it will never be their, their mm. top priority at any given time I kind of felt after going to Craven Cottage last weekend and, and seeing them and it was a full basically it was a full strength Spurs 11 except for Kane at uh, Sun's way Kane was injured but everyone else was everyone else was in there so Urente starts up front they fixed the entire team around a shape that would try and get the best out of Llorente, who, as we discussed last week, had a terrible game. They've then gone to Crystal Palace, who are, you know, they, and they only beat Fulham with the last kick of the game, and they should, probably shouldn't have beaten Fulham. They go to Crystal Palace away, who are a better team than Fulham, play a virtually completely rotated side with Kyle Walker-Peters and Oliver Skip and uh, all these guys in, and, and expect to win. Like, they, they weren't even close. I mean, like, Palace... I know they had... If Spurs had scored the penalty, which Kieran Trippier missed... 
it might have been a different situation. But if they're going up against a full-strength mid-table Premier League side, they're going to get beaten solidly. Whereas actually, I think even worse teams than them, like Arsenal and Chelsea, potentially, do have much deeper squads. Like A rotated Chelsea eleven, like you saw yesterday, was it Hudson-Odoi, mm-hmm. Willian and Higuain as the front three. That's dangerous, you know. It's yeah. it's much much harder to come up against than than this Spurs team. Urente and Kudu and Lucas in the front three. They also had Oliver Skip playing, who looked a bit lost. Carl Walker Peters who gave away that penalty. Who Luke told us last week on the podcast was much better than Kieran Trippier, and then had a had a bit of a difficult day. Uh, Lamal, like yeah. a, a friend of mine, texted me uh, just before the game saying, "This is the worst Tottenham lineup since Musa Saeed played for us." <laughs> and uh, yeah, they it was really I I. I I think they could, someone said on Twitter, I think they could have carried one out of Urente and Kudu, but they couldn't carry both of them. Like and Kudu was, was on line at Burnley last year and did yeah, nothing Kudu's, as well. You know. Kudu's terrible. He's really, really bad. And Urente was good once, but isn't anymore. Like, the funny thing about Kudu is uh, I'd written a line in my piece last week slating him from coming on and basically doing absolutely zero. And then the last kick of the game, he swings over that cross that winks heads home. So I just deleted the line. But everything he did up to that exact cross was terrible. And then everything he did, he's done since. Like that Palace game was was awful again. So it's kind of back to where we thought he was. Um, so, so why are they in the situation? Well, because they, I mean, they they are getting Sun back probably in time for Wednesday uh, yeah. at home to Watford, which would be quite. I mean, it's quite a boost for them. But has there ever been a time when the entire attack has relied on Sun and run through Sun, and he's had to be the guy? Like I can't remember too many spells where he was the absolute man. He has to come back and basically put them on his back because this is not a team that's like floating through this period. You know, we didn't expect them to because it's difficult. You've got Harry Kane missing. But Deli Ali's out now as well. Like, Christian Eriksen's going to have to play his like, he's, he's mind out, He's not last few weeks. No, and uh, I think, well, I wonder if the talk of, you know, he, he a lot of people expect him to go in the summer, right? Uh, including yourself. Mm-hmm. So you're now looking at this team, and if it is the final six months of this team, you kind of need to be hitting full stride now. Whereas actually, there's a situation I think uh, was it you might have mentioned it to me, Jack, that <coughs> they could end up losing four, five, six games in a row in in January, February. Yeah, I think we all remember February 2011 when yeah. Arsenal Arsenal were in a. This was a good Arsenal team. This is when they they still had Fabregas, yeah. they still had Van Persie, they still had Nasri. Uh, and there was a sense in February 2011 that everything was coming together for mm. them. They were in the League Cup final against Birmingham City, then the Champions League uh, mm. last 16 against Barcelona, I think. Was, yeah. was it? No, uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, last yeah. 16, yeah. Um, and they beat them at home 2-1, yeah, didn't they, yeah. in the first leg. That really celebrated performance. And then literally the whole thing went went down the toilet in the space of about three weeks. Yeah. They lost 2-1 to Birmingham City in the League Cup final when um, Koscielny and Szczesny collided. Mm. And Obafemi Martins scored. Um, they lost in the FA Cup at Old Trafford when Ferguson put out that joke team <laughs> yeah. with like Ra- Fabio. Ra- there were seven, seven was it Raphael and Fabio and O'Shea in midfield, yeah, something yeah. like that. Uh, and they won two 0 and knocked Arsenal out. They went to the New Camp and got beaten badly. I think it was the game. Was it, that the Van Persie red card game? Yeah, it, I mean, they actually they put up, put up a good fight in that game in yeah. the circumstances, but. Yeah, and then obviously off the back of that, it was like a class. It was like the definitive Arsenal collapse. Yeah, from there, it's like even worse than two thousand two, three, two thousand seven, mm-hmm. eight. 
and they lost like a bunch of games in the league and then their whole season when they went from winning the yeah. like being set in four competitions to being like absolutely nowhere and it, there's an interesting parallel here this just could be a piece in itself but as Spurs go into this period given uh, so that summer after that Arsenal season yeah. Fabregas and Nasri go yeah, Van Persie yeah. goes the following year Clichy went 2011 yeah so that, yeah. That, that, that team really that yeah. did have potential breaks apart I was and thinking it, that earlier like this could be this could be Spurs as February 2011 yeah and like so who, who'd potentially go I mean, Ericsson we've got this talk Ericsson, Ericsson's one foot out the door Alderweireld Alderweireld one foot out the door mm. I like all, I, I, I'm convinced that Alderweireld and Ericsson will go so I don't see how they can go well. really I hadn't yeah. heard that um and then who else is there? Like uh, Rose, I guess. Rose only ha- Rose will only have a year left, I think, at the end of the season. Um, and then I, I guess I'm not sure what the current situation Dembe- would be on Dyer. Dembele has gone. gone. That, that's one of the things I think. I mean, I don't want to get into the same like never-ending Spurs conversation <laughs> that we always have. But this Spurs squad is genuinely not as good as the 2016-17 squad yeah, in yeah. terms of top players performing at the top of their game. 2016-17, mm. they still had Walker. They had like peak, they had peak, games, they had peak Dembele. They had a fit Wanyama. Mm. Uh, they were just a, they were just a stronger, better all-round team. Yeah, they had peak peak Vertonga and peak Alderweireld peak rows mm. and now they don't so um so yeah I, I agree i think there is the kind of ominous vibe at the moment yeah um transfer window should we talk yeah well because spurs are one of many clubs actually that we were discussing this kind of off air and in the off two times obviously there's never more money in football we all know that and yet despite that that might be for kind of one of the first times in history given the the way these kind of trends go but none of that is actually being translated into the transfer market because the number of clubs that can spend that can't really spend money Arsenal Spurs Man City have become more reluctant although that's maybe for other reasons um, Real Madrid Barcelona uh, it's it's basically right through the game do you think that's because uh, PSG and City have inflated transfer fees so much that like the the teams who are merely quite rich can't afford the good players anymore. I think there's the FFP concerns for sure with with a couple of the clubs you mentioned. Mm. Barcelona and Real Madrid don't have the spending power that they used to have in comparison to Premier League. Yeah, and their wage bills are huge. Yeah, Barcelona have got the biggest wage bill in the history of sport, uh, an average of I think it's ten million pounds per first team player, which is bigger than any NBA team or anything. Mm. Which uh, considering there's only like five players on each team. Well, how much uh, that is Messi? The one player who is worth it. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. You yeah. know, I think you can justify paying him even more. It's, yeah. just, it's just that everyone else there is paid inflated. Mm. Um, at least they've gone out and got Frankie de Jong. Like, it was kind of unthinkable, really, that Barcelona would actually outbid PSG and Man City for a player, mm. essentially. But there was enough that the player wanted to go. Well, that story was interesting about showing, showing the text from it, it wasn't a, it, they didn't they didn't they didn't use finance to to string them over there. Is that an incredible breach of trust? Yes, from, of course it's from enormous, Barcelona yeah. to show these private texts. If but I if I was Neymar, well, unfortunately I'm not. I would be furious at seeing that, that my private texts to I, Barcelona officials have been leaked to the. When, when you talk to did, people did, at Barcelona, it's an out, it's an all-out war with PSG. Yeah. Like they, I mean, did Real he say Madrid, did he say off the record first? Real Madrid are kind of chummy <laughs> with um, with PSG. Yeah. But Barca and PSG are at all at war. They absolutely hate each other. That, that's really interesting. Can you explain that a bit? Um, it starts off with the. It started off with um, with Neymar, that whole thing, because you know they they tr- did try and negotiate with Barcelona. Barcelona obviously were not selling him. 
it was unthinkable that any club would deposit 220 million euros for a release clause because it's a, one, a single upfront payment. It's not even, you know, no fee of that side had ever been paid, let alone, you know, and if it had, it would be staggered over several years and all that. Instead, they went and paid 220 million upfront and then the tax on top of it and left that with uh, at La Liga headquarters in Madrid to secure the signing of Neymar. Uh, they both are linked to Qatar in different ways as well, which is which is interesting. I think Bar- Barca-Qatar relationship is obviously far weaker than the PSG one. But the, the Neymar situation kind of blew it open. And then since then, there's been a lot of antagonist- antagonistic things. Adrian Rabiot is another situation where Barcelona have clearly been talking to the player throughout. Um, and I guess the problem with that is, is you know, oh, like if they haven't offered him a contract, it's fine. They've told him what he could earn if he went to Barcelona. Mm-hmm. And that's why he hasn't signed a new contract with PSG. So PSG are going to lose a 50, 60, 70 million euro player for free. Um, likely to, I know Tottenham are supposedly interested in that, but again, Tottenham probably only looking at him on a free as well. So it's going to be Tottenham versus Barcelona probably for Rabiot. And you're looking at a completely different uh, Barcelona side, I guess. Barca need to ditch some wages to find some money. <coughs> Real Madrid will spend this summer for sure. Yeah, you for know, the first time since 2014 really. But they've, they've not spent for a long time. Mm. And I think that the Premier League clubs have also got to this situation where they, they're at a kind of critical mass where they, they're they sick of being quoted over the top prices for players and they just mm. won't buy. Yeah. Um, you know, some, especially some of the mid-table clubs have just stopped trying to, br- trying to bring in players. Mm. Um, there are clubs who were concerned with the Premier League's version of FFP, short-term cost control. Mm. Um, so Crystal Palace would be an obvious one of their like you know if you look at Arsenal the brought in over the last Arsenal year and, and uh, short term cost control has killed Arsenal because it it, it it like defines how much you can increase your salary f- your like total team salary from year to year and that in the lo- that in the last few years particularly given that Arsenal kind of got a bit overexcited giving two big contracts to their players not least of which was the Ozil deal a year ago has massively constrained what Arsenal can do in the transfer market because they've not really been they've not really been smart enough to see this coming and they've been caught out more than anyone by this. Yeah, I think yeah. they did. Yeah, I mean there are a few. As I say, the small clubs, Palace, um, and clubs at Bournemouth will get they'll hit this wall where once you've been up a couple of seasons, it's hard to expand your revenues by the same sort of increase as you were seeing in the first two seasons in the Premier League because all your sponsorships go up. You know all these yeah. other kind of incidental incomes they, they increase as well so you can suddenly spend all this money on players and Palace did that with Mamadou Sakho like 30 million pounds Benteke 30 million pounds Johan Kabai 10 million pounds and big wages yeah. but now they've spent virtually nothing for a year and a half so this month they got Bakri Sakho back on a free and got rid of four or five players they already have one of the thinnest squads in the league but this is something that's, that's happening everywhere yeah. and I think the problem is that once the market realises that the TV deal the next TV deal is not, probably not going to go up if it stays level, they've done well. If it goes down, I think people wouldn't be surprised necessarily. Mm. So, you know, the the bubble hasn't burst, but the Premier League clubs aren't going to keep having more and more money forever and ever and ever. Yeah, I was speaking to somebody who's got a connection to to Mike Ashley and the talks surrounding the potential sale of Newcastle. And what he was saying is that while... Is that FFP is kind of FFP makes it much harder to sell Newcastle because any potential buyer knows that if he buys the club of Mike Ashley he or she would need to spend hundreds of millions of pounds on the playing staff, the facilities, and everything which Ashley has allowed to fall massively behind all their Premier League rivals. Um, the problem is that the Premier League short-term cost control and UEFA FFP means that if a new Newcastle owner were to spend the hundreds of millions of pounds that they needed, 
they would fall foul of those measures and they would not be able to play in European competitions. And that means that Newcastle is suddenly like, what's the point of buying them? Like Newcastle are much less sellable because of these restrictions. They've boxed it off the elite, you know. If you look at that that thing that UEFA brought in to protect the clubs of great mm. European heritage, you know, which is essentially so that even if the the clubs like Inter Milan, AC Milan, uh, say Liverpool, whatever, if these clubs even just have a couple of bad seasons and end up out of UEFA competitions, they come back in and they still got good seeding. Mm. All of these things, <coughs> uh, and, and I know it's the biggest criticism of FFP and short term cost control and stuff. Despite the fact that they have reduced debts at clubs enormously, um, is that they they do ring fence off the elite? You know, the teams that are already at the top are kind of pulling up the ladder. It's, it, it is a tough balance to strike. Because on the one on the one hand, I mean, smaller clubs are protected. That's so so much fewer going out of business. Financial yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I think everyone can see that. But then the other side is that it creates this kind of stasis in the game. Because uh, you know, you do wonder of the middle of the mid table clubs in the Premier League, like who's going to ever be able to go up into the next tier mm. essentially the only one that you could see is maybe Everton you know if things broke rightly for them they could maybe have a, a season where they crack the top six um, West Ham and Watford have like dallied with it early in the season and fallen away mm. you know it, you can't really see Newcastle under the right owner mm. I think it's possible but actually it's a very interesting point that you raise you know is that the things like FFP would limit what a new owner can come in and do a new owner can't come in and just spend loads of money on the club um, and it is, I guess it is a, a deep concern if a club like Newcastle are basically stuck where they are now. Um, the only way is down for these clubs, um, essentially. And I think there will be, in the transfer market specifically, I think there will be a realignment when foreign clubs, who foreign clubs took a little while, like maybe a season to, to catch on, that you could just ask Premier League clubs for anything yeah. and they'll probably pay it. Mm. You know, that lots of players got oversold to the Premier League. But I think that what will happen is, again, we'll hit a wall where no one wants to spend anything because they're getting quite ridiculous prices. And then maybe a year later, whatever, when kind of the incomes start to sag, teams will be a bit more reasonable about stuff. But if I was a Premier League club anyway, I'd be just shopping in Spain where release clauses are everywhere. You know, yeah. Pablo Sarabia plays every week for Sevilla and he's brilliant and he's 17 million euros. Mm. Like you can go and get him and there's no questions asked. You don't have to negotiate with a club who's going to ask you for 80 for no reason. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else to add on the transfer window? Yeah, it's not going to be a busy night last few days, is it really? No, it's been a very disappointing transfer window. There's been almost almost nothing. But on the on the plus side, it means we can talk about football. Yeah. What I might do this week is um, have a look back a year on at some of last January. We had a few big deals. Van Dijk, Lucas. Well, Coutinho's turned out like they're talking about it as a completely fa- like a failed transfer. Fracaso is the word they were using, which is uh, like you know when you cock something up, it's an absolute failure. Coutinho's struggling. Uh, we had the big Arsenal United swap, which didn't even really work out for either party. You know, I guess Alexis Sanchez might Sorry, be more I literally productive. just had to remember that Henrik Mkhitaryan <laughs> yeah, yeah. was part of that deal. Uh, Sanchez. Rubbish, rubbish. Yeah, I mean, like, finish. Beijing Gowan. Yeah, off you go, mate. Uh, you know, like, Solskjaer's kind of reinvigorated a lot of that front line, but I feel like it, Sanchez may be beyond, may be beyond um, the cute little Norwegian. Yeah, that's no, nice it's a good. Goal, I thought yeah, yeah. Oh, it was a great finish. I thought, um, but otherwise, I think that's everything we've got time for. If, um, contrary to what we've just spent the last fifteen minutes talking about, if there's some sort of massive deal on deadline day, then we will record another podcast. Um, Define massive. Um, if one of if a Premier League club spends more than forty million pounds on a permanent immediate transfer, we will record another podcast on 
either late, is it Thursday night? Late Thursday night or Friday morning. Um, so that's your lot for today. Uh, I've been Ed Malian. Apologies for my voice and, and general sound. Um, I'm I'm slightly clogged, but I would also like to thank Jack for coming in today. Hello. My pleasure. No, thank you very much. And Miguel, uh, who thank spent you. the entire hour on his phone. That's um, thank you also for coming in. Um, I appreciate your time in transit. Uh, and thank you for everyone for listening. Uh, if you could, as always, remember to subscribe and uh, like review stuff, rate it. Um, there was something else I was meant to... Ah, uh, yeah, I was meant to read that, the uh, Indie Minds ad readout. But you don't really need me to read it because, you know, you can just go ahead, Google Indie Minds, subscribe. If you go independent.co.uk uh, slash podcast, uh, then you'll find a link. And until next week, and possibly Friday... That's all for now. Thank you very much. for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't even visit other leading job sites so start looking in the right place with linkedin you can hire professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com people today you know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.